Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue. Your baseball is locked out and the players are grayed out home for Cubs news, updates, and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs at Bleed Cubby Blue. Andy is off today, but I am thrilled to be joined again by friend of the show and host of the Sun Ranto podcast, Danny Rocket. Hey, que pasa, Sarah? How are you? <laughs> I am doing okay. I'm actually recording from Utah because I came home to visit my family. Uh, and so I've got like my childhood bedroom podcast set up. If you notice any difference in audio quality, um, listeners, that is why uh, we'll see how rural Utah broadband holds up for the podcast. <laughs> so you're in the mountains. So that makes this the only podcast in which you've ever been higher than me. <laughs> yes, actually, 100% <laughs> true. Um, speaking of times that well, anyway, we, we'll Good just times. Leave, we'll, we'll just we'll just leave that hanging out there for a second. Uh, we are three it. days we are three days away from Cubs caroling. Danny, tell people about it and how they can join you. Yeah, uh, Saturday the eleventh, uh, we are going to get together at G Man Tavern at five o'clock, and I have written uh, a dozen or more Cubs carols uh, parodies. Uh, well, Christmas carol parodies about the Cubs, and we're going to run around Wrigleyville bar hopping and singing songs together. Uh, Sarah's joined us at, uh, in the past. Unfortunately, you're in Utah this time, but uh, it is just so much fun and it's a great uh, time to meet new people and uh, see old people, bring some friends along. Uh, the more the merrier. I'm going to print up a bunch of lyrics and uh, we're going to go around singing Christmas songs about the Cubs. It is honestly one of the most fun things uh, that happens every year in Wrigleyville and I am super bummed to miss it. I came home a bit early. We're doing a nutcracker, go out and do the ballet as a family type of thing. And it's going to be really fun. And I'm also excited about that. But I'm I'm sad to miss Cubs caroling. To put this in perspective, I am such an introvert. It is, I am not normally the person that like goes out and walks around bars singing. And it is one of my favorite nights of the year. So even if you're thinking, uh, I don't know about bar hopping and Cubs carols, that might not be it for me. You should give it a go because it's really fun. It's a lot of great people uh, singing at the Chris Kindle market and the ice rink is super fun. All of the different bars are great. Um, and Danny will have you covered with some great tunes. In fact, we'll have another one to close out the show today, which should be kind of cool. Yeah. And uh, no, I say if why why do we just do it once? There's no reason we can't Cubs Carol again when you come back, Sarah. There's, <laughs> there's nothing stopping us from having a second event. But this is the big one that everybody's invited to. So, yeah, I mean, I really hope a lot of people come. I know a lot of people are already coming. We already got about 20 people showing up. And then uh, just it's going to grow from there. I would love to make it. I mean, wouldn't it be fun if it was like 100 people and we were rolling around singing these songs? I'd have my work cut out for me at that point. So, but yeah, come on out. Everybody's invited. Probably not kids because we are going to bars. But if you want to join us for the uh, Chris Kindle part of uh, when we're walking around, when we're outside, that's uh, you can bring kids to that. Just come to Chris Kindle. Either way, it, uh, I was talking last night on the Sun Ranta show with Crawley about how it looks down there right now. And with the lights up and the ice skating going on and the big tree and they got a big light up bear that you and I took our picture in front of Sarah. It really is quite beautiful to uh, go down and take a look at Wrigley at this time of year. I mean, the stuff in the market is like kind of overpriced crafts and stuff. And But, you know, you can go in there and have a spiced heated wine and just walk around and take in the ambiance. It's, you know, just a good reason to go down to Wrigley. And anybody listening to this show is a Cubs fan, so uh, definitely worth, worth your time. And, hey, make it Saturday and come hang out with us. Yeah, for sure. I, I really like what they've done with Gallagher Way with the Chris Kendall Market. It is a super cool place to be around. The ice rink is super fun. I agree with you that a lot of the craft shops are kind of overpriced, but the mold wine is great. And if, if you are a spiced mold wine drinker, uh, absolutely check that out. But more importantly, sing some great songs written by Danny to celebrate and or poke some fun, maybe a little bit of both, at this Cubs team. That, let's be honest, it, it deserves a little bit of poking fun at after this last season. Well, it's been tough because every year I rewrite the songs based upon what's going on. And, uh, you know, so as as the year ended and all our favorite players have been traded away and, you know, I, I basically, uh, you know, had very, uh, I guess, pointed things to say about upper ownership and uh, the direction of the team. Um, and then um, and then we signed Marcus Stroman. 
So I had to start writing positive songs. And I was like, oh, you've thrown a wrench in my entire set list. So now I had to rewrite other stuff. I'm cutting things like Blame Theo and turning that into We Got Stro. Instead of Blame Theo, Blame Theo, Blame Theo for screwing up the team, I got to say, We Got Stro, We Got Stro. We, hey, maybe we sing both. There's plenty of, there's plenty of uh, hatred and love to go around. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm here for both of them. There is, in fact, Cubs news, despite the fact that we are in a lockout. So we are going to kick things off like we always do here at the show with Cubs news. Let's start with the headliner. Buck O'Neill, longtime scout and coach for the Chicago Cubs. The reason Ernie Banks, Mr. Cub, was a Chicago Cub uh, was finally elected to the Hall of Fame. And, and I guess the first thing I will say is that this really should have happened while Beck O'Neill was alive. If you ever watch the video of his remarks at the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown that he is delivering in a year where he did not make it into the Hall of Fame, they are so poignant and so beautiful. And he clearly loves this game so much. He's such a wonderful ambassador of it. His stories are beyond touching. But when you realize that he's delivering those remarks at an institution that did not welcome him during his lifetime... They take on a little bit of sadness for me, and it is so wonderful to finally see this man's work recognized. Uh, Danny, I know you and your friends over at the San Ranto podcast have had a campaign going for a couple of years now to retire Buck O'Neill's number, and I think the Cubs should have done that a long time ago. I think that they pretty much have to do it now. Tell me what you're thinking about Buck O'Neill making it to the Hall of Fame and, and the case to retire his number. Well, I mean, my feeling was just relief. Uh, personally, it's kind of like a wrong had been righted. And I, I was texting with uh, John Baker, uh, the former Cubs mental skills coordinator and catcher. And and he's kind of, he was kind of mad. He's because it made him sad that Buck didn't get to <laughs> give the speech for himself at the Hall of Fame. He died shortly after actually making that speech where other African-American players, black players from the Negro Leagues, were all inducted in at once. Buck missed by one vote. So whoever voted against him, like I would like to have a conversation with that gentleman in a dark alley at some point. But like it, it's just such a shame that he wasn't there. Now, a wrong was righted. So I felt relief, especially for people like Bob Kendrick from the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, whose tireless efforts to uh, keep the not only the memory of the Negro Leagues alive, which should be, which now because of his efforts are celebrated as a major league in as far as baseball reference goes and major league baseball is concerned, that is a, a wrong that is now righted. Um, you know, it, it's to me at this point, um, it, it was just about time. The fact that the Cubs haven't done anything kind of makes me disappointed. Uh, maybe they should uh, th now. They have to. Like if you, they've done something for every, I mean, you've got like Vince Lloyd's name, you know, on the, at least on the, uh, the pavement, you know, all the, the, the famous old broadcasters, Harry Carey and stuff. You got broadcasters out there. You don't have the man that brought you Billy Cub and brought Billy Williams back from Whistler, Alabama after he quit the team. You don't have the guy that brought you Lou Brock, even though that went away. Lee Arthur Smith, you don't, uh, you know, Joe Carter. You don't have the the one of your most famous scouts celebrated. The, I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. They even did that new wall by the bleachers. That's pretty pathetic. The wall of uh, honor or whatever. The Hall the, of the Fame, plaques. isn't he's, it? It's the Cubs Hall of Fame. Oh, it's pathetic. But but he's not even in there. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like you have like, uh, uh, you know, you're celebrating yourself. The Ricketts made it. <laughs> they never <laughs> threw a baseball in right. their life. You know, I mean, but so, I mean, it, he's got to get a flag. Hopefully they retire his number uh, 53, by the way, is what it is. So nobody's even going to miss it. Um, I don't know. It's just it, I, finally. And and really what it what it is, it's like his contribution. If you look at his stats, you're going to be like, that's not a Hall of Famer. But he was an amazingly def amazing defensive first baseman and a player manager and a and a outright manager. And then the first black coach in the major leagues for the Cubs. Uh, you Cubs should be celebrating that too, by the way. They don't. Um, I have no idea why. But, um, you know, it, it's it's about time he got in there. His contributions to Ken Burns baseball are incredible. Uh, it, he's He won the Presidential Medal of Freedom, for God's sakes, but he couldn't get in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's right. just, it's, it's like ridiculous. I mean, you know, the, the, the country gave him an award for being a great American. 
And I, and so anyway, it's, it's just a wrong righted. I'm so happy that uh, he got in, uh, especially for like Bob Kendrick. Cause you know, it, I'm sure it was bittersweet for him as it was for a lot of us, but like, especially Bob and you know, it, it's great. It, and hopefully now this moves the Cubs in the right direction and they'll finally celebrate their hall of fame player and coach. Well, he never played for the Cubs, but it's our hall of fame coach, Buck O'Neill. Well, you know, I think about this a little bit about the hall of fame stuff and the stats and the set and the other thing. There are obviously exceptions to your statistical case for the hall of fame as to whether or not you should be there. And in Buck's case, I don't think you can tell the story of Chicago Cubs baseball and have it make sense without Beck O'Neill. By the way, that is a freight train going by outside. And if you can hear it, there is nothing I can do about it. It's just going to happen because some of these episodes are going to be recorded in rural Utah. And that means that the coal trains are going to run on time and on occasion. And we're just going to have to listen to them because my editing skills definitely cannot edit that out. I do not hear it. So I think you're in the clear. (laughs) Well, we'll find out. Um, But back to what we were talking about. I, you know, I think that the story of baseball and the story of Cubs baseball in particular doesn't make any sense without Beck O'Neill. You can't tell it. He is a quintessential part of that story and one of the greatest storytellers that baseball ever had. So I think it's incredibly important uh, that he was finally recognized by the Hall of Fame, that he will be enshrined in Cooperstown. It was funny. I just had a classmate of mine mention that he was in Cooperstown and was shocked that he couldn't find a place that honored Buck O'Neill. And so I think this is this is a wonderful, wonderful day for the Cubs. And I hope that they follow suit and do all the things that they need to do now. Retire 53, fly the number, and recognize his contributions to the team. Yeah, I, I can't wait. And, you know, it's 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 just about time. And I'm just so happy it happened, but I'm also, it's, it's bittersweet to me. And the other thing is in, you know, we are Cubs fans. So uh, Buck was our guy, but also like, I'm pretty happy for the South side too, with Minnie Mignoso getting in uh, because he does have hall of fame numbers. And uh, also it was basically the white Sox, Ernie Banks. He uh, was the first black player. Uh, Well, he did for, uh, black and Hispanic players, because he's from Cuba, uh, did for did for those players and broke that barrier in the same way that Jackie Robinson did uh, in on the Dodgers and Ernie Banks did for the Cubs. So it's um you know it, it it's it I'm so happy these guys are finally getting their due. I don't know what took so long. I just it's ridiculous to me how this works. And I know that uh, that sports writers are the ones that vote this stuff in. And, you know, now that we know some of these sports writers that are on Twitter and stuff, excuse me, now that we know some of these sports writers that are on Twitter, like we know that they're not all like good people, you know, or that they're they're not all like the smartest baseball people or they have an agenda or they want to be just famous themselves by being controversial. So, um, you know, it's a shame. I, I wish the players and this is how we got in is the old timers committee voted them in. So. It, you know, I, I, I think something's got to change with the voting. I think that the players should vote. I, I would actually wonder about the steroid era, guys, if the players actually have a vo- had a vote on some of this stuff. So, uh, you know, it's all like this old boys club and this wink, wink stuff. Like, I'm still mad that Santo didn't get in in his lifetime. Like, yeah. that's just I don't know what's what are they doing over there? Like, <laughs> be better. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Like, we should love the Hall of Fame, not be mad at them. We're baseball fans, you know? This is ridiculous. I totally agree with you about Santo. I was so furious that he didn't get in in his lifetime. And, and I want to go back to what you were saying um, about Mini Minoso for a second. And that was also just so awesome to see. I It was a great day for the city of Chicago to finally get to celebrate some of these legends. Legends in the city who have been left out by the powers that be, the institutions, the gatekeepers who determine what is or is not Hall of Fame worthy. And I think I read um, from Shakia Taylor, who is a former guest of the show, friend of the show, Shakia Taylor, um, that Minnie Minoso's family was celebrating at Sluggers uh, when the call came in. Like they were out um, hanging out in the city to celebrate, I, if I recall correctly, uh, she has a picture with like his World Series ring, which might be the coolest thing I've ever seen. I'm so jealous. I she saw that. Wear his World Series ring. Too cool. Too cool. 
Yeah, I was sad. I was actually in New York last weekend celebrating my sister's birthday, and uh, I saw Shakia tweet out that she was down at Sluggers, and I don't live too far away from them. I'm like, no, I'm not in town. I totally would have gone down there and tried to wear a ring, too. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, but great day for the city of Chicago. Both sides of the city got to be super excited for two of their legends being celebrated, as they should. Um, speaking of people who might be made for Chicago, although I highly doubt that he's going to wind up in the Hall of Fame, but who knows? You never know. We talked about him last time. Newest Cub, uh, Clint Frazier, having himself quite the week on Twitter. Half of <laughs> half of my friends who are New York Yankees fans are, I think he's awesome, and half of them are mad at him. But uh, apparently, uh, Clint's been getting on Twitter this week. He talked about how the Cubs have the best uniforms in MLB, which is a not-so-subtle dig at the more famous pinstripes in New York. But I would agree with Clint. Our, our pinstripes are better. Um, but he also, there's there's a great moment where he basically says he's glad to be out of New York and he's excited that he doesn't have to shave anymore. And one, that hair is going to be amazing if he truly yeah. commits to this whole, like, I don't have to shave because I'm not a Yankee thing anymore. But two, Danny, tell me what you were thinking as Clint Frazier got to know the city of Chicago a little bit. And really, I think he he's just going to be right at home here. He's going to be great out in left field. Yeah, I mean, I hope he's good. I mean, that's I mean, first and foremost, I'm having fun so far, but you know, you gotta at least hit two fifty or something. You know what I mean? With a couple of bobs, uh, so you know, he comes off it. He he is definitely ingratiating himself to Cubs fans, and if he has that big old red curly fro, you know, sit with a big with a blue Cubs hat sitting way up on top of it, you know, I can I can see. Well, first of all, we had Chafin last year that looked just like our friend Bleacher Jeff, and um, I can see him with a big Chafin kind of look as well, maybe more beard than mustache this time. But he's gonna let it go grow wild and woolly, and I'm excited to see it. And um. And he does have a big old orphan Annie Fro, so that's going to be fun to see. Um, uh, I just think he's a fun, kooky guy. Uh, you know, a lot of gingers can be a little kooky. I'm a ginger. I'm a little kooky. We're a little kooky. Um, it's some we we march to a different drummer, and so that I think he'll be great out there. Um, also, uh, the, I enjoy him dissing on the Yankees because screw the Yankees and screw that stupid policy. And you know, it's probably one of those things that. Uh, you know, he had no choice where he was drafted or anything. He was drafted by the Yankees, so he ends up a Yankee. Um, they have this policy. He can't get away. He was drafted by the team the team currently known as the Guardians and then traded oh, yeah. to the Yankees. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're right. He, he had no control. Traded. You are correct. He had no control where he is. He's a, he's a Yankee. And so you got to have the sh you shave and they, you know, measure your hairline and stuff, making sure it's right. But screw that. You know, like, I know that that's like a tradition. They don't put the names on the backs and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I'm whatever. And now they can't get away from it because it's been happening too long. They're like, that's what we do. We have short hair. But I'm like, what is this? 1940s and I'm joining the army? Like, come on. This is ridiculous. This is Major League Baseball. People want that. I mean, I bet you the fans would want them to do do whatever they want. Grow your hair long, have a beard, whatever it is. I think it's ridiculous. And and Clint thinks it's ridiculous, and I'm glad that he's dissing on <laughs> that he's dissing on the Yankees <laughs> because the Yankees think they're so great. So screw them. Yeah, I'm totally fine with this. Uh, welcome to Chicago, Clint. I hope you are more like your 2020 self than your 2021 sure. self, and we will That's all fine. get along just fine. Um, another note in the news about the Cubs this week that I thought was particularly fascinating. It actually just came out on Thursday morning is about how the Marcus Stroman deal came together. And, and it's in The Athletic. You can and should read the whole thing if you have an athletic subscription. If you don't, I'll just be very honest with you that it's money well spent. And uh, there are a handful of subscriptions I have. The Athletic is one of them. So if you're if you're on the fence about that, it's, it's a pretty good place to get your Cubs news. Uh, they have this note about how the deals that were happening around the Thanksgiving break actually forced the Cubs to reassess their initial strategy of waiting to see the final details of the new labor deal and processing how those changes would impact future payrolls and rosters. That's a quote from Patrick Mooney's piece in The Athletic. And part of the reason that I find this so fascinating is, you know, if you go back to the trade deadline and what we were all talking about 
and writing about it at the time, it really seemed like what the Cubs were trying to do was clear a ton of payroll, buy themselves maximum flexibility for the new CBA, and then just wait it out. And then they could retool or rebuild or whatever Judd is calling it these days and and really set themselves up for future success. And I, I think it's interesting that whatever success the Cubs see in their future, they did not feel like they could just wait while every single starting pitcher went off the market before the lockout. They felt like they had to get in on that and they had to make a statement. And they did. And it, and as a result, they wound up with, in my opinion, the best pitcher in the free agent class. But Danny, as you're thinking about how the Cubs shifted there, that they were originally going to do that wait and see strategy, by, like wait out for the new CBA and see if what they could do and how they would restructure themselves. What do you make of the fact that Jed moved on something a little bit more rapidly than they maybe wanted to? I think he got caught flat-footed. And uh, I don't, and you know, you have 30 teams out there. They're all trying to win. Uh, well, not all of them, unfortunately, but, uh, but the, uh, but, you know, they're trying all to trying to, maybe 10 of them are trying to win. <laughs> yeah. They're trying to play baseball. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> at a high level of, uh, of, 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 of at least a high caliber. But um, yeah, I think they were caught flat footed. I don't think that they thought that the Rangers were just going to spend half a million or half a billion dollars. Uh, you know, I, I I don't think that they thought that that the pieces would be coming off the board that fast. And you know that if you've got money to spend, which the Cubs are certainly a team that has it, uh, you have to spend it, uh, especially if you see your possible targets start to go. Because if people are engaging with Marcus Stroman and you're like, whoa, 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 I, we were going to sign Marcus Stroman, but we were going to wait till after CBA or, you know, we were going to be in on it. Well, now you've got to move, you know, and I feel the same way about uh, like getting somebody like Correa. You know, if if you have a target and you have the money to spend, you can't wait because another team's going to come in there and they're going to pants you. And that's what was going. That's what was happening. These guys were coming off the board and the and. I feel like they weren't expecting it and they just panicked and, and had not panicked. I, that's the wrong thing to say. <laughs> they changed. They're like, ah, Tom Ricketts, you got to I need your checkbook now. What's your credit card number? <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but no, it's, it's, you know, they had to move. They had to change their strategy slightly. I mean, I don't think they were, they said they were going to spend money. They said they were going to be active in the trade market. They said they were going to rejigger the team, you know? So if, if, if they weren't feeling they could do that as all these pieces and maybe some of their targets were gone, they changed their strategy, which is great because, um, you know, that's what you got to do to be good. It's a competitive market. And, uh, they, they showed us, they made a statement and to the rest of the league, and to Mark, I mean, Marcus Stroman said himself, when the Cubs signed me, they said they were serious. So that only gives me hope that we are going to be in on Correa, that we are going to, you know, plug that hole at shortstop, that we aren't going to be stuck with these like 31 year old rookies that got tossed off of other teams and go out there with like a 2013 kind of lineup, you know, 14. Um, with the cast offs and the bargain basement shopping for the bullpen and, you know, uh, so I have hope. I have hope now. And um, I, I don't know. I was impressed. As I said, I had to change all my songs <laughs> from from cynical to happy. You know, it's funny. And one of those 31-year-old rookies, Frank Schwindel, uh, was ranked number 20 in the overall first base class for MLB. And if you didn't have Frank Schwindel in your top 20 first baseman in MLB, well, you're, you're going to have to reevaluate that, I would think. Um, you know... <laughs> The, yeah. the the thing that you mentioned there about flexibility and then, you know, making the decision to play, right? Like they made they made a decision not to sit out anymore. They could have. Uh, they decided to spend instead. I think it does give some credibility to the Correa rumors. I would absolutely love them to sign Correa. The other player who has been mentioned in some of these rumors, though, is Chris Bryant, the guy that the Cubs originally talked about building the whole future around originally do you think there is any chance that these chris bryant rumblings are true mm, well i mean i won't say we don't need him um but it, it, everybody could use a chris bryant every team would like to have chris bryant on their team he does so many things really well but um i don't 
I mean, if they couldn't figure out the extension, if they couldn't lock that up, then I don't see why they could now, especially because the money probably hasn't changed. Um, so, I mean, it's it's just hard to it's hard to see. I feel like everybody's gone. I feel like I would be shocked, but not shocked, but I would be surprised at least if Chris Bryant came back. Um, it would certainly be an upgrade at third base from Patrick wisdom. I, we don't need all those strikeouts, but then what do you do with him? You right. know, is he just a bench guy? I mean, pretty much is just a third baseman. Maybe could play a little, uh, corner outfields. He's got a nice arm. So I could see that work that playing pretty well in the outfield. Um, you know, but the outfield is very crowded. Extra, yeah. The outfield's crowded now. Right. Yeah, now you got Harold Ramirez, you just got Clint Frazier, you, and then you got Hayward still. I don't know what you do with him, Hap, you know, the list. You got about six, seven guys out there right now all fighting for a spot. So, Raphael know, Ortega, maybe, to my knowledge, is still on the Ortega. team. Yeah, yeah Ortega is still on the team. Um, and then, you know, I so it, it would be kind of – and then so uh, what do you – you know, KB, I, I guess you could move – you have to move somebody at that point. So, yeah. you know – Correa for, just, just makes more sense. Happening. Well, you need a shortstop. Right. Chris Bryant Chris is, Bryant is not Chris a shortstop. Bryant, yeah. If Chris Bryant, he played it once, I think. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but but if 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 he was a shortstop, then sure. You know, but you're more likely to sign Trevor Story than freaking Chris Bryant in many ways. Um, you know, a team that needs a third baseman is going to sign Chris Bryant. You know, I didn't actually have this in the show notes, but I'm going to I'm going to bring it up anyway. Uh, is Anthony Rizzo OK? Because his Twitter is wild right now. Apparently, Anthony Rizzo is like a crypto NFT guy now. And I just go look at his new profile picture on Twitter. I, I'm, I'm serious. This is not a rhetorical question. Danny, is, is Anthony Rizzo OK? Um, well, what I heard and this is going to it would be more fun if he was just going off the rails and for our entertainment and getting into crypto and NFTs and stuff. But I think what happened is that some crypto NFT company gave twenty five thousand dollars to the Anthony Rizzo Foundation. Okay. So as a payback. Yeah, I think that's what this is. all. Now, I don't know. I may I'm not making this up. I saw it on Twitter. So take this all with a grain of salt because Twitter be Twitter. But um yeah, I think that's something about that. But, you know, I, I just when is this going to end? I mean, I don't want I know probably some people are into crypto that listen to the show and stuff. And that's fine. Enjoy that. But, you know, it's just like once the celebrities get into this stuff, it's, you know, it's kind of going to be a little insufferable. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad to hear that there was a donation associated with some of those posts, because I was I was honestly yeah. worried that the Yankees had done something that had, you know, messed up Anthony Rizzo at his core. Um, let's do a couple of minor league signing notes before we take a quick break. You uh, noted on the San Ranto show that the Cubs are kind of stockpiling lefties. Tell us a little bit about the lefties who they're dealing with. And just as a reminder, minor league baseball deals are still happening. All things minor leagues are still going on. There was a minor league rule five draft um, because the minor league players are not covered by the major league union. And so the lockout does not affect them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they, I mean, they've last couple of weeks, they kind of stockpiling and it's nobody exciting. So don't, don't be like, Oh, who do we get? Cause we didn't really get anybody, uh, except for a guy named Locke St. John that was last week. Um, and, um, it, he's, he's a lefty and he's, you know, he's from Texas. He's, he wasn't, he had a cup of coffee with the Rangers. He ended up with a five forty ERA. They, I mean, it, small sample size, huge, small sample size, but you know, they, they, they're, it's depth, right? That's what they're going for depth. And then this week they got lefty Connor Menez. Uh, he's like a, a cross, uh, cross firing soft tosser slider guy. Uh, he's the weird thing about him is he's out of options. So they got him in the rule five. And uh, then there's also a minor league deal with a guy named Steven Gonsalves from the twins. And uh, he's pretty good actually in the minors. He, uh, he had a cup of coffee with the Red Sox and the twins uh, 273 ERA in eight seasons in the minors and averages 10 strikeouts per nine uh, in the minor league. So that's really good. So I don't know wh what they're going to do. We, we lost uh, Rex brothers. Well, didn't lose him. He was a free agent and he went to another team, but uh, so they, they need a lefty or two out of the pen. So we'll see these guys are end up in the minor leagues unless um, 
well, my, Connor Menez actually has to be in the majors because he's out of options. So uh, we'll definitely see him unless they just cut him uh, if they don't like what they see. But, um, you know, you can't ever have enough le- lefty bullpen arms, I, it seems, in the major leagues. If you are a, uh, a left-handed uh, pitcher, I feel like you can hang around in the major leagues longer than most any other uh, any other player with like not like the greatest talent. Like if you're like an average lefty, you can stay. Is kind of how it works. And the Cubs, we got they want they got all of them. They want all of them. They're signing them all, stockpiling them in the minors, and um, hopefully it works out. Hopefully it works out for for us and all the lefties. Yeah, we will hopefully get to see some of these players if and when baseball happens after the lockout ends and the CBA is renegotiated and finalized. Uh, We're going to talk more about that on the flip side. But first, we need to take a quick break for our sponsors. All right. So bear with me here for a second, people. The we are going to get to the lockout, but but I want to talk about the lockout from a specific angle Uh, which is a story that dropped basically the same day the lockout was going on. And so it was a little slow to pick up some steam. Some of us who are deep into the what is going on with the literal baseball story uh, have been following this for a while now. But incredibly, it turns out that MLB was using two different baseballs during the 2021 season. And the reason that I think this is kind of incredible is because 20, the, the, at the very start of the 2021 season, on, on February 8th, there was a memo that came out from MLB saying that they were going to deaden the baseball. Uh, it was unprecedented for them to announce that they were going to intentionally change the ball. There had been speculation in the home run surge seasons in 2015, 2017, 2019, that something was going on with the baseball, but nobody uh, had any proof that MLB was doing anything deliberately. There were a lot of stories, um, particularly from Dr. Meredith Wills, who we will come back to in a second. Uh, She is an astrophysicist and a woman who takes it upon herself to physically test these baseballs since MLB won't tell us anything about them. Um, And also from Rob Arthur, who writes at Baseball Prospectus, uh, The Ringer and some other places and does a lot of data science work. And so we knew that the balls had been changing over time, but it was not until February 8th, 2020 that, or 2021, that MLB said, yeah, we're going to deliberately deaden the ball for the 2021 season. Um, and the thing that was interesting about that to me, and I wrote about it at the time, is that it was one day, 24 hours before Sports Illustrated dropped a cover story on the fact that MLB had been using different baseballs that were marked by batch codes and that you that Dr. Wills had physically fig- like figured out that these baseballs were in fact different in specific ways that would lead to some of them flying farther than others. So for MLB to then say, yeah, we're going to deliberately change them was kind of a way for them to put a PR spin on that story to control that narrative before Sports Illustrated could drop that they had been using different baseballs deliberately. Fast forward to now. And on the eve of lockout, we have a, Bradford William Davis writing for Business Insider that MLB used not just the deadened ball in 2021, but they also used some reserve stock from 2020 without telling players about it. And that reserve stock happens to be the old 2019 rabbit ball uh, that is doing all sorts of wild and crazy things, which is my long winded way of saying MLB is not the most trustworthy institution right now. They are literally just like throwing out different baseballs other than what the players expect. And I do not understand how they expect to negotiate a contract with the MLBPA when nobody trusts each other. So the 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 key, the key to me in Bradford um, William Davis's story, which you should definitely read, it's on Business Insider, uh, is this Pete Alonzo tweet from last summer that everybody thought was kind of crazy at the time. Everybody thought Alonzo was out like out on a limb. When he said the MLB is deliberately changing the ball based on the type of free agent class that is coming up. And look, I don't think that's true. So you're not hearing news here that MLB is changing the ball based on the free agent class. But I do think that if players think that, I don't know how they negotiate a new deal with the owners at all. If they think the owners are manipulating the literal baseball and have been for years. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, they have been <laughs> and, and everybody knows it. And that's and I agree with you. It's like you can't trust them. I mean, and you and it's not just the hitters like I remember in 2019, um, a lot of the pitchers were the ones that were complaining. And it wasn't because they were getting rocked all the time. You know, they felt they couldn't grip the baseball because the seams weren't in the same place. I remember Kyle Hendricks uh, struggling with some blister problems. Um, so it's these things have consequences, physical consequences, not, not just to the game consequences, but the fact that, you know, you need to feel comfortable. Like how much do the pitchers always say, well, oh, I didn't have a, a good grip. I didn't have a feel for the pitch. And then, so they're going to their mouth and they're, you know, using the sticky stuff or, and they react to it by using the, you know, the stick them to try to get extra spin on it and stuff. But there are, but it does physical things and you see the ball, doing crazy things sometimes out of guys' hands where like he must be using the the sticky stuff. So yeah, but this is a reaction to having a rubber bouncing ball in 2019 where there's, you know, double the home runs for <laughs> that ever before. You know, it's guys that had never hit more than eight home runs or hitting 32. Like, you know, it's just it's and they're like, oh he changed your swing. It's like, no, he did not. <laughs> <laughs> you, the ball is juiced. Like, and then we find out that it's true and they were lying about it. We said the ball was juiced and they're like, oh no, it's not juiced. It's not juiced. They, they just lie and lie and lie. So it's, I, I just don't understand. I agree with you, Sarah. I don't understand how the players can trust what's going on. And, you know, they need to have some kind of like, they need to hire Meredith Wills to be testing these baseballs for Word. the players. So, so that, you know, everybody knows what's going on. There needs to be a third party that's checking into this stuff. You can't chase the ball in the middle of the season. You well, can't. I mean. Danny, I'm sorry. Can. Beyond beyond changing the ball in the middle of the season, I just want to, like, rewrite. Re They're using two different baseballs depending on where you play. So if a, a ball might be hit in Chicago, that is a long fly out, and then a ball gets hit in the field of dreams game. There were eight home runs in the field of dreams game. Yeah. Like, that was I, a bouncy ball. Are we really supposed to believe they did not like strategically place the jumpier ball in certain games that they wanted more action in? Would they do that? I don't know. I can't answer that question. <laughs> well, exactly. But why? Well, what's their reason for using two different baseballs? They ran out of the other ones? No. They're using the other baseballs because they wanted to. And why did they want to? Well, the reason is obvious because they did want <laughs> that game to go a certain way or whatever it was. But or, you know, they could be placing it. And this is the thing about the Pete Alonzo conspiracy theory is um, is that, you know, maybe you throw him into a game with a guy that's, oh, let's say use the bouncing ball. Let's say Marcus Stroman's coming up for a free agency. And you think that it'd be a good idea that he got rocked in a few games and he didn't look so hot and he gave up four home runs and four innings and whatever. So you you put those little rubber bouncy balls in that game and let Marcus Stroma get rocked and then uh, his price tag comes down. Let, do that in a few times, you know. Uh, uh, you A hitter, you got a couple of guys uh, on the Cubs, for example, had a bunch of hitters coming up for free agency. So, hey, let's throw some... Um, some of the new uh, debtor balls in those games. So now Anthony Rizzo and, and Javi Baez, they're not, they're not getting as many hits. Chris Bryant, you know, he's rolling over because they're using the dead ball in those games. Like, you know, why wouldn't you think they would do something like that? Because they're doing everything else they can to manipulate the money. Well, and one of, the, one of the things that's interesting about the, what is the impact of the dead ball? I mean, back, Early in the season when the dead and ball first got introduced, and it was being used in most games, we think. I mean, we we honestly don't know. We don't know where the ball was being used in which instance. Um, Devin Fe certainly used dead balls, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I don't know. Patrick Wisdom <laughs> eclipsed Chris Bryant's rookie home run record in like half the plate appearances. Were they using the dead ball at that point? I mean, we really don't know is the point. But part of what I want to get to here is, you know, Devin Fink over at Fangraphs looked at what the result of those balls being hit was. So like the the theory behind the dead and ball is that you give the players a dead and ball and you lose some home runs, but you get back doubles or triples or whatever, right? The mm. problem is you don't actually get back doubles or triples. You get back long flyouts because a ball that is yeah. just short of being a home run gets caught on the warning track. And that is not good for anybody. That's not good for MLB's 
whole attempt to make more action in the sport and get more fans or whatever. It's not good for players. I mean, I guess it's good for the pitcher who threw something that would have been a home run before, but now it's a long fly out. It just, it makes it very difficult for a sport that when I think about baseball, I think about baseball stats. I think about what I'm interested in it. One of the things I always loved about the game is that you could compare a hitter from like 1925 theoretically to a hitter in 1989 theoretically to a hitter in 2014 and I just don't think you can do that anymore ever since MLB bought Rawlings and has been tinkering at the edges and at the margins of what the perfect baseball should be yeah I I have no idea like this is the first like oh it's only been the last couple of years that we've even been talking about this like we just assumed that the ball was the ball was the ball was the ball and that it was always going to be the same for generations and generations. And now all of a sudden we're talking about the ball. Like, why is, why? I don't, I don't get it. Uh, and it's just a shame that they just can't go back to the ball that they used before. Now you're going to get maybe a little bit of variance within, some uh, within the manufacturing process. Sometimes you see a pitcher throw a ball out, you know, be like, ah, I don't like the feel of this one. They rub them up. Um, in, in, uh, they use the humidor in a couple of places they, they in uh, Colorado and Arizona, I believe too, don't they? They use it a lot more than that. Now they added some parks this year too. Um, yeah, Arizona, okay. Colorado, but this year they actually added some parks where they're, as far as we can tell, dehumidifying the ball. So in a place like St. Louis, they're actually like trying to pull some of the moisture out of the ball so that it goes farther, uh, before Ugh. they put it on the field. They also put a, hum- a humidor in Miami, I believe. And, and, uh, the speculation, at least amongst this actually came up in some fantasy podcasts I was talking on, because you know who cares a lot about how many home runs there are going to be fantasy baseball players and people who bet on baseball. That's who cares about like the actual numbers of home runs that are going to be hit and when they are going to be hit. Um, and there was a lot of speculation that the only reason you would put a humidor in a place like St. Louis or Miami is actually to make the ball livelier, right? Not to deaden it. Well, and uh, let's go conspiracy theory even more, considering how deeply entrenched MLB has instantly become in organized gambling, is if you want a game to go a certain way and you control what the baseballs look like, well, you can uh, you can profit pretty well off that situation or at least have a better chance. So, um, you know, I, and here's the thing. They, because of the way they've been operating for the MLB, Rob Manfred, who hates baseball, because of the way he's been operating, the way the owners have been operating, the way that the, uh, you know, we couldn't even get a 60 game. We just got a 60 game season last year because of, uh, you know, they're always crying poor. Like, you know, we don't have to go through the whole thing, but because of that, they have, they're not trustworthy in any way, shape or form. And if you have a way billionaires, what do they love? Money. And what do they love more than money is just a little bit more money. Like that's how billionaires work. You don't get a billion dollars without really wanting a lot of money. That's part of the deal. And so if they can get a little bit more, they're into the gambling. Oh, you know, maybe they can ruin a guy's season by throwing a couple, you know, less than his worth at the end of his free agency. I mean, I'm not saying this stuff is going on. I'm just saying it could go on. and. Why would the players trust the owners when they have control over this and have an incentive money to manipulate things in any way they can? They're not into this just because they love baseball. You know, in fact, I don't think they like baseball very much at all. (laughs) I don't see any evidence of Rob Manfred liking baseball in the least, in fact. So I don't know. It's it's a. I don't know. It's a sticky thing. They they have to. The players need a representative to be checking all this stuff and to be holding their feet to the fire because obviously they're already been they've been caught over and over and over and over again manipulate things to their favor for whatever reasons. And um, it's not fair to the players, the people that actually play this game, the people that I show up to the stadium to cheer. It's not fair to them. One hundred. Sorry, Danny. <laughs> No, no, I was done. I was. 
100%. And the quote in this Business Insider piece, well, there are two of them that I want to share, and then we can move on to some other things going on with the lockout that really just did it for me. An anonymous American League scout who didn't want to be named for the piece. Incidentally, that is part of this. Like a lot of the people who speak out on the baseball and or who are giving Dr. Will's baseballs to experiment with and to study uh, can't release their names because they will become persona non grata to MLB if it is found out that they are giving this woman baseballs to figure out what is going on, which is bananas. Like you should just tell us what is going on with the baseball rather than all of this cloak and dagger. But the quote is, yeah, that's a big breach for me of competitive integrity. It's a situation where the game plays differently. And there's a reason that's not random. The game is being made to play differently because they are tampering with the literal ball. And the second part of this that I thought was just so telling, you know, Andrew Miller, uh, who has been a pitcher in the league for years now and has been pitching um, with the Cardinals, he is hugely involved with the union. And so he's one of the stronger union reps. And MLB claims that they sent a memo to the players explaining that they were going to have to use additional balls because they had some production issues at their plant in Costa Rica due to the pandemic, which look, if that's true, that the pandemic caused some production issues. That makes sense to me. Like, just tell us all that. And we'll all agree that that's a totally reasonable thing to have happen. But Miller in this piece says explicitly that he does not remember that. Like he does not remember there being a memo. And I think that a pitcher would remember a memo about two different baseballs being used. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah. No, oh, we sent it to you. Oh, you didn't get that email? Check your junk box. You know, like, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. The PA has the as the memo yeah. in the spam folder. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and why are the baseballs being made in Costa Rica anyway? They don't even play baseball down there. That's a soccer country. You know what I mean? They play basketball. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't understand. Like, uh, you, you know, they they can make things where they want, but it, that doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, wouldn't you rather? Uh, make baseballs the great American sport, make your baseballs in America, you know, just would make sense to me or in United States, I should say. But it's like, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Sarah, I, they, I, they're untrue. You can't trust them. I mean, I don't care where they make the baseball. I just care that the ball performs in a predictable way that players are used to and that everybody can play a fair game, right? Like the thing that was so telling over the last few years as MLB was like, no, no, we didn't change anything. And the players are like, I'm getting blisters for the first time ever in my entire playing career. It, it, yeah. These are these are guys who they make their living playing this game. They know what a ball is supposed to feel like. They know what their changeup grip is supposed to feel like. They know how they're supposed to throw it. And when you start tweaking the most important piece of equipment for that to happen, you cause injuries, you lead to things like the sticky stuff problem. You probably lead to things like more hit batsmen. If you're trying to go up and in on a guy and all of a sudden you just miss, where do you think that ball goes? It probably goes into the physical batter. Um, The batter probably can't get away because they think some of these balls are going to curve or or like have a little bit of movement to them and then they don't and it hits them instead. So I think there's any number of extraneous implications here that MLB has just not fully contended with and the idea that they're just going to be unilaterally in charge of the ball it's something that is not part of the negotiations to my knowledge that they and then they're just supposed to be trusted with all of this in the background is it, it, sort of bananas to me and so as we think about how these negotiations are going forward and I, and I want to move on to maybe the way they're playing in the broader media both the old school media and the new media which we'll talk about in a second it it occurs to me that If I was part of the MLBPA, I wouldn't really trust anything that MLB or Rob Manfred was telling me. I would have very little incentive to want to do a deal with these people. No, except for the money you could get when you start playing again. Um, So, I mean, right now they're not getting paid. You know, nobody's nobody's going to get paid if there's no 2022 season. But, um, yeah, I, I, I go back and forth with. I think they're very far apart and it's mostly the five years of service time, six years of service time, what year uh, of your life, what age you are when you can uh, reach free agency, um, how much team control that the, the, the team has over you and for how long is the biggest sticking point. I think of it, of it all, but um, you know, it, it, and it is just a year of difference that they have, but it doesn't seem like the owners are willing to budge. And, I'm 
and you wonder why you're like, you guys, you had a 60 game season last year. You lost almost half the year in some cities to, uh, as far as having paying fans to COVID. And now you're going to screw up another year in a row. You know, you're not allowed to cry poor anymore. If you're not working, (laughs) You, you know, you have to physically play the, you know, that's your job put on baseball games for fans to see. And um, if they can't manage to do that, uh, you wonder like how many fans, they definitely lose the the fair weather fans, the people that, you know, a lot of people during COVID, they couldn't go to the games. They found something else to do. And they just kind of fell off the bandwagon. And we saw what happened in 94 when uh, it really took <laughs> Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire with needles in their arms and sucking baseballs out of the yard to get people back into it. So uh, you're not going to do that again. But um, I don't know. I, I feel like there's too much at stake here. But ah, the owners, I, I mean, if they can't get it done, I'm going to blame the owners because like, what the players are asking for, to me, is pretty reasonable. Like you have a situation. I said this last night on Sun Ranto. You have a situation right now where Patrick Wisdom, Wisdom, a 30-year-old rookie, is not a free agent until he's 35 years old, you know, at this point. So his whole career. that's not really fair to him. He's been in blocked in the minors for how long? Maybe not blocked, but, you know, maybe wasn't good enough to come up. But either way, the, a 30-year-old guy coming up and, like, all of a sudden being gangbusters, that's kind of a rarity in this game. Usually your top years are going to be before your age 30 season. Um, and so, uh, not that you don't have anything to contribute for the next decade, but you know, you're starting to age out. Um, it's just unfair. And I, I feel like, you know, a player like Patrick wisdom being 30 years old should probably at least have a chance to get that contract so that, you know, his family and, you know, generation get the generational money that you've worked all your life for. And he's not going to ever have that opportunity except through the arbitration process. So, I, and he's not even arbitration eligible yet. I don't think, I think he's still got like another year or two before he even gets that. So it's not fair um, how it works. And, but I still don't see the owners giving on it because they're like, nope, we're the owners. We're no, you do what we say. And I feel like they're playing such hardball that they're, they're leaving the, 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 it in jeopardy. They're leaving the whole thing in jeopardy. And it's really disheartening. So I, I, so I go back and forth between being hopeful and being that the owners are going to screw this all up and they won't budge. So, and I feel like the players, man, I hope they don't blink. You know, I, I, I sometimes I, I almost wish they would wash out the season. You know, and 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 you know, one of those things where sometimes you got to tear it down to build it back up, um, in in right in the right way. This time. The players have a voice because they're out there on social media, all changing their profile pics to those grayed out stupid things on every team's website. You know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's the go to the Cubs website, and go c- click roster. <laughs> all the players look like these gray silhouettes. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, how do you how do you feel about it? Do you feel like there there's any chance that they're going to get this thing done? Well, I think there is a chance. I think that the most um, compelling analysis that I sort of read about some of the backdrop here or that I've been thinking about uh, recently is, you know, you were mentioning the fact that the owners are all about making money and they're billionaires for a reason. They they're good at getting those last few dollars out of every single thing. That's how they became billionaires. And that's why they own the teams in the first place. And um, over at Pitcher List, uh, Zach Hayes wrote a piece, a long piece earlier this week, like looking at the where we are with the lockout and what's going on. One of the observations that he had was that to get to the point where you can own a major league baseball team, you're not just a capitalist. You're like the most radical of radical capitalists who believes in profit maximization over everything else to a degree that is just different than the average person. And I've been thinking about this a lot because we're in a time where workers are beginning to realize that they don't have to put up with all of the terrible circumstances and working conditions that have been foisted on them 
in the last 15 to 20 years. And look, I get it. Like, you know, if you have a boss who is scheduling you and you don't have any say in when the schedule is and you can't make it work around your childcare and stuff, this is fundamentally different than what a major league baseball player is going through. Like those are not the same types of things at all. But when you start to think about the players at the margin, the the Frank Schwindels and Patrick Wisdoms, the guys who are just getting their shot as they hit 30 and they have to play their entire career or whatever is going to be left of their career be in their pre-arb period and, and for minor league contracts, that is not a good working condition situation. Patrick Wisdom is going to be the guy who holds the rookie home run record for the Cubs because he did that. <laughs> He deserves to get paid for that. He doesn't. He shouldn't have to wait four years and hope that he gets to stick it out with another uh, with a major league team for long enough to finally get a payday. The man should get a payday at some point in time for doing that. And the current situ- the current system doesn't have any way for Patrick Wisdom to get paid, and it never will. There is an incentive for the Patrick Wisdoms of the world to not get paid in the current system. If you are, you know, I forget which piece I was reading this in earlier this week, and I feel kind of bad about it because I wish I could give them credit, but Jacob deGrom, after he came up and pitched, you know, one of the most fantastic rookie campaigns of all time, was given a contract offer of the league minimum plus $7,000. $7,000 raise, that's what he got in year two of his contract for Jacob deGrom. So if you, they have no incentive to pay any of these players anything, (laughs) and they won't. Well, and 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 we saw the manipulation with KB. Everybody knows the Cubs did that uh, with with the service time thing. And and you know, and kudos to KB for standing up for that. I mean, if he had lost, if if he had won that uh, uh, grievance, that would have sucked for us, obviously, because he just would have been he would have been in the last year of his contract right right then, you know, instantly um, traded a year earlier. But uh, you know, it, there's the players. I think that they this time have more solidarity and I've because and they have the ability to control their own messaging on this too. So that uh the fans I'm sure there's going to be fans out there, ah oh, these guys, these millionaires, you know, greedy blah blah blah, but you know, th- these guys play these guys play this game for a finite period of time. Like, you know, if you even make it to the majors uh and most guys don't even stick around all that long, just a few years. And uh, they're trying to get paid all they can because that's most people's career. So to put in all that work, uh, it's got to be worth your, it's got to be worth your time. The owners, they can own the team forever. <laughs> you know, They don't age out of being an owner, you know, but Patrick Wisdom's going to age out of being a baseball player. So it's, it's just a shame that, you know, this guy's been this, Patrick Wisdom's been somebody's team depth in the minor leagues, making nothing for a long time, for for a decade or more. So, you know, it's it just stands to reason that he, guys that are blocked, uh, you know, Schwindel's a great example. Ortega's another great example. Like, these guys just aren't going to get that chance, you know. So, now, they're still making 600 grand a year, minus taxes. That kind of screws you a little bit. But, you know, you're but you're not you're not like one that's you're not that's not one percent money you know what i mean right and it is the top it is a it is the top um it's the top place in the game it's a, you can't go further than the major leagues as far as getting success and making money so they de- they deserve something I, I i really hope i mean i hope they figure it out but i also hope the players stay in their ground even if it means lost baseball yeah i you know i want to go back to something you alluded to there that i've been thinking a lot about which is this Um, The players control more of the messaging now. I mean, Danny talked about this a couple of times, the grayed out images on social media. I love that all the players are like out there and they've got their like, oh, yeah, well, you're going to pull my picture off MOB.com. I'll make it my Twitter picture and like spread this news farther so that the fans can see what is going on day by day between the owners and the players. I think that was a really empowering reappropriation of something that frankly, when MLB did it, I thought it was kind of petty to pull all of the guys off like that. And be like, Oh, like I feel for the poor intern at MLB that had to like go and like great, like pull everybody's image and like put the grayed out (laughs) image on and everything only to then see uh, Jose Ramirez and Randy Dobnik, like just totally turn this on its head and like create their own personalized grayed out. This is like the Jose Ramirez one is great. If you've not checked out Jose Ramirez's Twitter, you need to go do that. Um, 
But it has me thinking, you know, I don't, you've mentioned this last time, Danny, I don't go to the park to see Tom Ricketts. I've seen him a few times. Like he said hi to me every now and again. He does not know who I am. Um, every time I go into that blogger meeting that we have at Cubs convention, he walks in and does the whole, hello, gentlemen and lady. And it's like the thing that they say. And it's just like, okay, that's yeah. great. Um, <laughs> but the but the thing about, the, I go to the ballpark to see Wilson Contreras. I go to the ballpark to see Javier Baez. I go to the ballpark to see Kyle Hendricks, just get guys out. And if I go on social media and what I'm hearing about the MLB negotiations and lockout from Max Scherzer or, you know, from Javi Baez is the message, that message is going to resonate with me a lot more than whatever I can hear from Rob Manfred on some random ESPN show that I haven't watched in 10 years. So I just really feel like the players have an opportunity here to actually get the upper hand in this media environment in a way that they maybe never have before. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and, you know, MLB does a pretty bad job of marketing these personalities. Uh, They're always trying to tell them how terrible they are so they don't have to pay them. And they're trying to make sure that they don't have too many stars because uh, that then they'll be bigger than the game itself. Um, So, you know, but this time around, I feel like, see, this is what the fans want though. They want, Clint Frazier out there with the giant, you know, red hair. And then all the fans get red wigs and have fun with the guys. We want to know these person guys personally. Now we have an opportunity to get to know them on social media. The ones uh, Marcus Stroman's very active on social media too. He's out there recruiting for the Cubs, uh, talking smack to Yankees fans as well. <laughs> I, I don't know if you saw that, um, but uh, it, you know, it's just like we root the players. And so, uh, that wasn't possible in 1994 where you could during that strike and that work stoppage that, you know, the only narrative that was out there was pretty much um, the what the owners were feeding all the uh, the press guys who they need for access and stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> you had poor freaking Mike Piazza going on Baywatch and stuff like that for something to do that summer, make a little scratch. But, um, you know, that, that wasn't necessarily the, the, the messaging the players were going for. But, um, yeah, this time, the fact that they're being honest. And also, I think these guys are a lot smarter than they were in the past. These guys have more of a sense. They're more educated. They have a, a greater sense of reality. They've grown up in the Internet age. Um, you know, this is not a billionaires versus millionaires argument. It's labor versus ownership. And that's how it should be looked at. Revenue growth year over year, you know, more and more and more. They're they're picking up these pennies on the floor. I mean, you know, they put a big Nike swoosh on everybody's uniform. Uh, everybody's uniform. They got paid for that. Did the players get it? No, the owners got that money. The MLB got that money with the Nike swoosh on the front of the the jerseys. And guess what? The price went from two hundred fifty dollars for a jersey up to four hundred. 500 in some cases. So they double the price and then people still buy it because everybody likes it. And that's fine. But the owner's getting that money, not the players. So um, they're making money hand over fist. The, the players' share of the money that MLB makes, and they're making it from us. That shouldn't be lost on anybody either. That has gone down. The, their share of the money has gone down, which means the owners has gone up. So let's balance that out. Let's make sure that every if they're going to charge us $12 a beer, I want it to go in uh, the pocket of Wilson Contreras for an extension. I don't want that to go in Tom Ricketts' pocket and whatever the hell he's going to do with the money. So um, buy some rare book for his brother for Christmas, according to Papa Ricketts' emails. <laughs> so um, <laughs> well, I could talk about those all day, but we won't get into that. Let's, we'll do a special. We'll do a special New Year special. Do a special flashback, we'll on the, flashback on the Ricketts Splinter News Dump. <laughs> a, ret- a retrospective. So, <laughs> odd lang sign. But you know, I, they're just asking for it to be fair. And you know, I you brought it up last week, Sarah, that flurry of activity right before the lockout. So all the owners can say, look. We're spending millions and millions and millions. How could you call us cheap? Well, that's like what five, six guys that have got money like that. You know, it's not everybody. And it's there's a thousand players in the major leagues at any given time in the minors, uh, even more. So, uh, you know, you've got to you've got to think of the guys on the margins. You're Patrick Wisdom. You've got to make it fair for them. There's very few 
thirty million dollar a year AAV contracts being doled out in the major leagues. There just are. Yeah, so, I think it's important. I hope they stick their guns. I, I hope they stick to their guns, too, and I have their back. You know, I hit, I did hear one really optimistic note, and then we need to bring this one to a close because we've been – I've been enjoying this conversation so much, Danny, that I didn't even notice that we're over an hour here, which is not the normal MO here on Cup of Cubby Blue. Um, but, the you know, I heard a note on rates and barrels uh, earlier this week that – the players have the players union has been socking away some of that licensing money, the licensing revenue that they've been getting in preparation for this CBA negotiation. And that money is there so that they can help the players who most need the revenue, the ones for whom a lockout or missed games or missed playing time will be the hardest. Um, that money is there to help get them through. And I, I know that the owners are trying to make it look like they're not going to budge. The players are going to have to, but I really think the players are going to stick to their guns here and, I am team players, man. Like I, I am always on the side of working people, period. Yeah. And, and we all should be because we're Cubs fans we're not owners fans. <laughs> you know, It's like, you know, th- their job owner's job is to spend money on good players for us to watch. That's it. And, um, it should be fair. It, and, um, it, it was never fair for a hundred years, pretty much. It, it, the first hundred years of baseball, it was really unfair. Only the last, well, like 50 has it been fair at all, you know, and, and they keep chipping away and they chip away and they chip away. And, um, I hope, you know, I just hope that when we do get a CBA, that it's something that both sides can feel at least is fair. And I just, I think they should give them the five-year thing that would end, that would end the lockout. Yeah, we can talk more about the five versus six year free agency stuff uh, in the future. We can also talk more about what arbitration might look like and why. We still haven't even hit on some of the other talking points that are being negotiated, the expanded playoffs, the universal designated hitter. There are potential rules changes that MLB has now tried to pull back from the negotiations, but I hope that the Players Association forces those conversations in to the conversation because they're the types of things that change who is successful in this game and why. But we have all lockout to talk about all of those things. Danny, I'm so grateful you were able to join me again. Uh, where can people find what you're working on if they can't come to Cubs Caroling, which again is this Saturday, people, and you will not want to miss it. Yeah, well, I'm a heavy tweeter. So at Sunranto, S-O-N-R-A-N-T-O. Uh, we also have Sunranto.com, S-O-N-R-A-N-T-O.com, where you can find a lot of that stuff. Um, I'm in the Bleacher Bum Band. You can find us on Spotify. Got an album up there with a song called Rob Manfred Hates Baseball that you might Great enjoy. And, um, and in fact, I'm going to put a Cubs, uh, it's, a, it's a Cubs Carol parody at the end of this show. So um, you probably will enjoy that too. So yeah, that's where you can find me. Just, just put your head out the window and yell my name. I'll, I'll come running. <laughs> it's pretty much what I do. I just walk around Wrigleyville and say, where's Danny Rocket? Uh <laughs> If you're not uh, looking for Danny Rocket and you're looking for uh, information from this podcast, you can find it at, at Cup of Cubby Blue. If you're looking for my writing or what I'm following these days on Twitter, you can find me at, at BCB underscore Sarah. Uh, when Andy is back, you can find her at, at BRYZ underscore Blue. And you can uh, find all of us here. Until next time. Bye. Locking fans out of MLB-led negotiation stop. Owners want to make more money, they've already got a lot. Lock of fans out of MLB, gonna cancel all the games. Go to their website and you'll see the players' faces are gray. The collective bargaining agreement has expired. Opening day isn't coming, cause fighting about money like fans out of MLB everyone wants to get paid always want more from you and me give themselves a big fat raise